Ricardo was like, this is why you left New York. And for the fight, it, it was. That was the culmination of like a lot of the reasons I left New York. But the second I got done with that fight, that was no longer why I left New York. Yeah. This is why I left New York. Yeah. Okay, guys. Episode one, the Splendid Torch podcast uh, from McHughBJJ. We're excited, guys. So before we dive in, you know, to the jujitsu lifestyle, and if you guys listen to the trailer, this podcast is going to be about, you know, just the gems that we find from being on the mat training, right? And, you know, the camaraderie and, you know, the personal development and all those beautiful things. And we'll talk about training stories, of course. We'll, you know, highlight some success stories from our students. We'll have them on. But before we get into that, we wanted to talk a little bit about my origin story, right? My my uh, my lineage, my my roots in martial arts, because you know I think that's important. It's very important. I think everybody would agree that, especially in jujitsu, mm-hmm. your lineage matters, right? It's something that that people take a lot of pride in. It's something that people boast about, if uh, if it's warranted. <laughs> and and the point is, in this case, I think it is. Like we have a pretty impressive lineage. So I want to get into just to our or my origin story. So, you know, everybody who trains here at McCubejj, you guys have a little bit of a better understanding of your family tree. Um, and the way we're going to do it, I got Coach Pete here. What's up, guys? The old man himself. He's just going to ask me some questions, kind of like I guess we'll say interview style. And uh, hopefully, you guys will learn a little bit more about you know our background and therefore your background. All right, Coach. So there we go. Now, I just wanted to preface this with one where Professor and I were talking. We were talking about the origin story. When did it start? My opinion is he was born into it. It was unbeknownst to him that he was immediately, at a tender young age, was just brought up to it. Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Exactly. And that's almost probably the best way to do it. You're not a Gracie, but it's the calmest the same. Not. You're not a Gracie. You're, <laughs> I am you're not. Irish. So let's start off with this. We'll, one giant question. When did you start? Who was your first instructor? And then we'll go from there. All right. That's a, that's a loaded question. Yes. So, all right, you guys are going to hear this brought up time and time again on this podcast. And, you know, Pete, you've met him. He's my, an awesome my guy. Uncle. My yeah. uncle is – he's my mentor. And, and the – the honest truth is without my uncle's influence in my life, this school would not be here, right? And, you know, if you go a little bit deeper, and he would kill me if I say this, a lot of schools in the Northeast would not be successful without the influence of, you know, my uncle on, you know, the martial arts industry, I guess you'll say. So I was lucky enough that by the time I was already, you know, I don't know, three, four years old, my uncle had already, you know, developed a, a successful school. And he's not much older than me. He started his school when he was like 19. That's awesome. He's like 16 years older than me or something. So, you know, we were just lucky. My brother and I, like, it was just understood that once you can get to a certain point, you're going to train martial arts at Thomas's. So, you know, I grew up, by the time I was seven years old, I was on the mat, training super hard. And, you know, in a lot of ways, they kind of built a little kids program around me because they saw how serious I was and how crazy about martial arts I was. And, you know, talk about being lucky. I can remember being six years old and going to visit grandma, you know, and Uncle Thomas's room is upstairs. <laughs> and, you know, I sneak up and he's got a treasure trove of 
weaponry, ninja stars, <laughs> you know, crazy like martial arts books. Dude, back then there weren't DVDs. There was no BJJ fanatics. No, was, there wasn't. No Budo was No Budo videos. It was these terrible like hand drawn books <laughs> of like how to do techniques. Yeah. But I I would be obsessed. Um, you know, I can remember sneaking in and watching like the VHS of UFC one mm. and all their illegal, you know, contraband. <laughs> um, you know, I could also remember my uncle strapping boxing gloves on my brother and I in that very room and, <laughs> and, and having a headache for three days afterwards. <laughs> you know, but uh man, to say I was thrown into martial arts at a young age is an understatement. It was it was my life. It was my um it was just a legacy that, like, I there was no doubt I was going to be a part of. And the other point is, if he was a different guy with different interests, it could have been a different story. Oh, man, thank God he didn't own, like, a bait shop, you know? Yes. Like, like McHugh, McHugh fly fishing, night worms, night crawlers. That's very true. So uh, what was your highest belt level? And then where did you go from that whole aspect? Yeah. From being a kid to being an adult. Right, so... All right, so I didn't even get my black belt in karate until I was out of college, you know. But I put years and years into it. So what would happen is I would train for a few years, play sports, train for a few years, girls. Life gets in the way. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, you hit certain milestones yes, in yes, life yes. And, and things change. But by the time I was in uh, high school, when I was like 16 and I could drive, I was pretty serious about martial arts again. So that's when I was, you know, introduced to jujitsu, training a lot. Mm -hmm. Um you know, that's why I met like Hoyler Gracie. My, you know, we're we're gonna mention this, this a lot, but like, I was the benefactor of my uncle's willingness and ability to seek out high level mentors. Like he went to he went to China when he was like twenty five for like a month and a half, slept on like a concrete floor just to train with like you know the masters. He went to Brazil in like the mid nineties. You know, a white guy going yeah. to Brazil in the mid nineties to train with Hoyler. You know, like sta impressive. stayed at Hoyler's house. Yeah. So, you know, I was the benefactor of all these things. I didn't realize it at the time. Like, I didn't know how big a deal it was. But by the time I was, like, in, in high school, I was, like, teaching kids' classes karate mm -hmm. and, you know, doing, like, a little bit of jujitsu. But I didn't get my black belt until I graduated college and then um, got really serious about, like, full-time training. Yeah. And then after you graduated college, that brought you to jiu-jitsu. Or I should yeah. say MMA. MMA. It was, and I think I can speak. Be a fighter. Yeah, for many of us, it was the spectacle, spectacle of the guy in the pajamas tearing all these massive human beings up in yeah. UFC 1. So I remember. You were 10. I was 32 watching yeah. that. Except, yeah. yeah. So No, I was 9. <laughs> and you were 42. Yeah, pretty close. Um, but yeah, man, I, I remember, like, I always knew who the Graces were. Yeah. You know, but. And I always knew what jujitsu was, but vaguely. Like I, I when I just remember like being condescending, like in college when people were watching like you know UFC fights. Yeah. I'd be like, dude, I, like I met Hoyler Grace. Yeah, I could do that. You know, like guys, jujitsu works. Yeah. And I don't, I didn't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, like I always knew who they were, and I always, I always knew eventually I was going to come back to martial arts, and it was obvious that it was going to be jujitsu, mm -hmm. that it wasn't going to be. Wushu, Kung Fu, and maybe it would be some karate, but definitely like kickboxing. Like by then, my uncle's program was based mainly on kickboxing and jujitsu. Yeah. So your uncle is, I know, your uncle brought you to Ricardo's because you, you yep. wanted to take that, embrace that MMA challenge. You wanted to get into yeah. the MMA. 
Dude, you're being you're being nice about it. Yes. You're being altruistic. Yes, the I truth am. is I'm sitting in a frat house in college <laughs> with like cuts on my knuckles from getting into stupid bar, bar fights. fights. And uh turns out I was pretty good at it yeah. and I thought I was a lot tougher than I really was and um, I wanted to fight I thought it was when I tell you I literally thought it was as easy as signing up for a fight showing up and fighting the guy when I got home from college I went on my dad's computer and googled amateur MMA and I literally was trying to find a spot to like sign up mm -hmm. and uh, I couldn't find it so I called my uncle and we were we were you know we weren't like estranged at the time, but you know, I was in college. I was living a different life. Yeah, you remember? So we, we weren't. Yeah, we weren't like yeah. really in communication a lot. So I didn't know what he was up to the last like three, four years. So I call him up, and he's like, "Go to this website. It's like Sure Dog." Yeah, and uh, is Sure Dog still a thing? I think so because Carlo brought it up the other day. Sure Dog was like the original big MMA news yeah. website. You could track everybody's every statistics yeah, right. from the smallest regional all the way up. Yeah, so he's like, go to this website and then like, you know, look for this event. Look at the pictures. And it turned out it was like one of Dante's fights when he fought Alexis Aquino or something, which was a heated in-state rivalry. Yeah. And that was Dante was on a tear destroying people. This guy was supposed to be like the next big the thing. Next big and he was like another big dog. Dante, you know, I think he, he broke his leg on an ankle lock. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, and then and then Dante like smacked his trainer because they were there was a lot of bad blood. Was he? And you got to think, dude. Half the arena is Ricardo's guys, and then the other half is like Fight Factory or whoever yeah. it is. So they all storm the cage, and I'm like scrolling through the picture. I'm like, oh wow, they're getting into a fight in the cage, and then my uncle's in there, <laughs> you know, like one yeah. of the idiots. But um, he wasn't fighting anybody. But he, you know, he's backing his friends. He's in. And that was his way of like showing me like. This is where I'm at now. Like these are the guys who like these are my new mentors. These yeah. are my new training partners. What are you doing Tuesday morning? I remember I'm in my dad's driveway on my cell phone, my flip phone, my <laughs> razor flip phone. Your razor. And I'm like, what? Really? I'm like, why didn't you teach me this stuff when I was like nine? And he's like, I didn't. He, to his credit, he's like, I didn't know it. Yeah. I didn't know it. Um. So he brought me down. And man, the only reason I had access to a guy like Ricardo Almeida is because my uncle was doing, like, consultant work. Mm -hmm. He was helping him. You know, he took him out of a racquetball court and helped him, Help you know, develop a program that matched his skill level. Um, so he was always indebted to my like, always appreciative of my, of my uncle. Gave my uncle carte blanche and training. My uncle didn't belong on that mat either. Yeah. You know, I definitely didn't, <laughs> but we had access just because of all the things my, my uncle did for Ricardo. So that was the, the, the beginning was you get in, you wanted to fight MMA. Mm-hmm. Wanted to go make your way to the UFC, so you get into the room, and and I know you were in that room with a bunch of killers. Yes, killers, killers, absolute killers. And because I remember, it was the IFL. I I remember that. Yeah. I remember those teams, and it was it was brutal. So you're on the mat with these guys on a daily basis, yeah. training with Dante and yeah. Let me point out, dude. I don't want it to sound. Let me not confuse anybody. I'll be honest. Like, I walked in there. I walk in the first day. I'm wearing cut-off sweatpants. I'm wearing, like, an Under Armour shirt I just bought at Dick's Sporting Goods off the turnpike. I have I, – the first day, I didn't even have a mouthpiece. <laughs> and I didn't even really know that they would let me train. They, like, you know, they they abused me a little bit, like, phys like with jujitsu. But when we were sparring, like, they didn't even hit me, man. So, like, it's – and I'm not going to say it's out of respect. It's because – 
there was no reason. They didn't even – I posed zero threat to these people. Keep yeah. that in mind. Like, So it's not like I jumped in there, a 23-year-old like tough guy, and started throwing leather with the best fighters in the world <laughs> and like was on the receiving end of beatings. They didn't even have to beat me because I was so like awful. Let's just keep that in mind. A little wet behind the ears and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that, so that, that, that brings you into – you're making the drive down. How many mornings? It's an hour, over an hour drive, hour and a half drive. Yep. Right. So you're making like an a hour and forty minutes. Hour and forty minute drive every morning to train. So all right, here's what happened. I graduate college. I had that talk with Thomas. I want to fight. Um, you know, I I, I was kind of half ass throwing in my resume at publishing <laughs> places in the New York City. Didn't even really like expect to get a job. I was lifeguarding, and. Um, you know, I lifeguarded that whole summer, which is a good gig. I had a nice tan. But, you know, we'd w- I'd wake up at 6 a.m. I would meet my uncle three days a week. We would drive all the way down to Ricardo's. And then what started happening was on the way back, we'd stop at East Brunswick. There was a, a karate school called uh, Satori. They needed instructor training. So we would help with their instructors. And they were going through like a reorg, we'll call it, um, which I learned that term from Melissa, which just means like everybody's getting fired. Everybody's getting fired, yeah. Um, they were losing all their instructors. And and then after, like, you know, a month of us helping, quote, unquote, uh, Thomas was like, look, man, they need an instructor, like, just to teach down the lease. They're, they got nine more months on a lease. You know, it really helped my friend Dave Kolvar. It would help him out if, if we could name. just put somebody in there. Yeah. Huge name. Huge. And I was like, yeah, I guess I'll I'll do it. And instead of teaching down the lease, I grew to school. Like, it turned it, it turned into the best learning experience possible. But what my days looked like, dude, I was sleeping at my dad's on a blow-up, on an arrow bed. Remember those arrow yeah. beds? And it had a hole in it. So, you know, I'd get home at like 10 o'clock at night, 11 o'clock at night after like power lifting with my uncle. I'd fall asleep on the arrow bed, wake up at 3 a.m. flat on the floor because <laughs> the thing is I got to find the hole, patch it, blow it back up. I'd wake up at 6 a.m. to beat uh, all the, the New York City New York traffic. City traffic yeah. And I would drive down to Hamilton, which was like... 115 miles one way 115 miles in my little you know civic and i would sleep in the parking lot for like an hour or so and then nine o'clock we'd train mma i you know get the crap kicked out of me for two hours i would go back up to east brunswick i would sleep on the mat there for like an hour or so clean the school teach classes all night go home do it again i did that for like a year and a half yeah that that's a lot of miles that's a lot of miles but you learn a lot in that time I guarantee what you learned there was invaluable. And we may not see it, but I guarantee we see it right here. And it's been, it had to be a core principle for this. Yeah, man. So, look, I I learned a lot. And, you know, we kind of talked, you and I talked about it before, but like when I was eight years old, I went, I went, I flew out to California to train Wushu with like one of the the world's leading, uh, you know, experts, one of the best teachers, this guy, Eric Chen, who went on to do. Like a lot of choreography in Hollywood, like did some stuff on Kung Fu Panda, um, like Ninja Turtles, Mortal Kombat. These are all movies that guys my age, like we love that stuff. So, you know, I could always brag that, yeah, I trained with the guy who trained the Ninja Turtles. Um, But man, I went out with pretty much by myself. I flew out when I was eight years old to Huntington Beach, California, right? With this 16-year-old teammate of mine, Victor, who didn't even speak. Incredible martial artist, though. Um, you know, I was out there for two weeks. We slept in, in an empty, like, abandoned apartment building with the door open. Alley cats living with us. 
And, you know, I trained like three, four times a day. I was eight years old. And, you know, what did that teach me? Taught, taught me the, you know, personal responsibility, not being scared of an adventure, right? But I think most importantly, it taught me like, like the importance of, of purpose, purposely and purposefully seeking out mentors, like seeking out the best that that's out there. Mm-hmm. Dude, I, I drove by from New York to Hamilton, New Jersey. I probably drove by a dozen jujitsu academies. Why do you think I kept driving? Yeah, because like my uncle gave me access to Ricardo, but like, it's Ricardo, dude. Eventually, my uncle was gone, and I I was still doing the drive. Yeah, because it's Ricardo Almeida, and like, people look at me like I was crazy, but like I look at other people like they're crazy. Like, why would you not drive? Why would you not do that? I remember my uncle said to me like, like Pete, this is like, this is the only access you'll have to legitimate original. Gracie Baja Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. Like the original. Core. Yeah. And Ricardo was in that core. Yeah. And if people don't know, Ricardo was two-time ADCC silver, silver medalist. Silver. I mean, he's. And if you want to see one of the best matches in all Arona. time, him and Arona. And Arona is just amazing. And there is a physical disparity, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. I don't, a, I don't think their hormone profiles matched up. No, they well. did not. And it was, it is, it's a. One of the, it's an amazing, amazing match. The match is incredible. It's incredible. Ricardo ends up losing on a negative one because he did a flying armbar attempt. Yeah. So it's, it's not like. It's not like he lost, lost. Yeah. yeah. Incredible match. Yeah. So you're you're training at Ricardo's, and this is early. This is in Trenton, correct? Yeah. In Trenton. So this is 2007. 2007. So you have your three, I believe it's three MMA fights. Yep. You go M, You go 3-0. and Undefeated. Undefeated. He's the champ. Well, he wasn't the champ. But you were 3-0. So I, I was supposed to fight for fight the championship for the belt, right? next. What happened? I slipped on some ice. No, I, uh, I was in the New York Open fighting Mateus Denise, of Denise. all people, when he was, like, you know, young and vibrant. And um, he kept going triangle, triangle, triangle. So I postured up, stood over him, and he beautifully went Tomonagi, sent me over his head. And, you know... I'm not the most graceful guy, I guess. And I tried to cartwheel out of it, and my shoulder exploded. But, you know, looking back, I we could get into that. But I had a really bad staph infection after my third MMA fight. And, you know, this is a little PSA for people, especially in grappling. I took uh, Leviquin, which turns out is in the antibiotic, powerful antibiotic. Turns out that that class of antibiotics causes, like, weakness in in ligaments and tendons so you know my shoulder exploded it was catastrophic had to get it fixed and um i think what that injury did for me was i just realized like the mma thing does i didn't give i didn't care enough didn't care enough i didn't have like enough like heart in it to to keep man mma i always say is a black hole it's a black hole it's not something you can do you know like half-assed you got to whole ass it it's got to be 100 it's commitment 100% 100% But your entire life, man. Yeah. Um, and I, that was never my... My goal was this. Yeah. My goal was this. Even if you didn't realize it in the beginning. No, I did. You did? I did. Okay. I just... I always knew. Yeah. Look, man, part of me... I, I always wanted to fight because I, I needed to prove to myself that I could do it. Um, I needed that... Like, I needed to, like, legitimize myself. Yeah. Like, I... And I, maybe that's weakness. Like, like people would be like, well, you're enough as you are. Yeah. 
I don't subscribe to that. I don't. I think that it's bullshit. I mean, we can go on a whole episode yeah. of that, dude. I where mean, we I'm will. Like, yeah, like, we'll get I think into it's it. one of those things where it's like you you have to say, I gotta know because I know why why are you competing? You're going against this guy 15 years younger than you because I want to know, dude. I grew up fighting. And I'm too old to get hit in the head, and I'm already ugly, yeah. so that's not gonna you'll help. Toast. Me. You'll be toast, dude. I grew up fighting. Like it, I grew up. It, it's funny because we were out with with friends one night and. The one guy was like, and I've known him for like 10 years. He's like, I mentioned something about like where I grew up. And he's like, I thought you grew up like in this ritzy part of New Jersey. <laughs> I was like, dude, I grew up in a trailer park. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe I give off a different kind of, I don't know what aura a trailer park boy is supposed to give off. But yeah. apparently I don't give it off. Uh, but I grew up fighting, man. I grew up in like a pretty rough place. And I didn't grow up fighting because the neighborhood was rough. I grew up fighting because... My brother grew up fighting, yeah. and I wanted to be like my brother. And my brother grew up fighting because my dad grew up fighting, yeah. and we wanted to be like my dad. So the measure of like manliness in our eyes, in our family, much like yours, yeah. is you get into fisticuffs, and you don't complain about it, and you don't brag about it. Yeah. So that goes away in adulthood, right? Yeah. Um, different battles. Different battles, man. But, like, I needed to prove to myself that I had what it, what it takes. Mm. And I needed to prove to my uncle and to Ricardo and to my dad and to my brother and to my friends. Because, like, I don't know. I had this identity. And it, it meant a lot to me that I did it. Right? And I wish I could have taken it further, but I did the three. I Everything hard. happens for a reason. Every, we would not be here if I was still if you, Yeah. And and that's, that's, a, that's a very valid point. And I know... We used to do so um, early on in the early days of the academy. We would get together on Friday nights for uh, what we called instructor training. Yeah, and, fight uh, club. Fight club, basically. So we'd sit around for 15 minutes or so and we'd talk. Dante would come down. You yep. know, guys would come in. His Valley Tudo shorts his, sit on your oh, face Jesus. every time. I still am in counseling <laughs> for that. Still in counseling for that. But, uh, you know, it was he would come down and he would say, he said, you know, Professor was really, really good. Yep, you had a lot of upside. There was a yeah, you well, could have gone I very far. I think I'm a smart fighter. That's important. You know, I don't know that I'm the most like physically talented guy, but I know how to use my talents the right way. And that that's important because you get guys. You know, just, you know what means the most to me? I, look, I remember my first MMA fight, which was a fucking. It was a mess. I missed like six submissions. I had an adrenal dump. It was I, I won, but like it was not impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's your first one. Um. If I just took a breath, I would have been fine. <laughs> but, you know, I get out of the cage, and I just remember, like, I didn't even walk down the steps of the cage for, yet. I'm, I'm on the last step, and one of the guys is like, man, when's your next fight? And I was, I was like, still about to throw up from that one. <laughs> and it just, I realized, like, it, I thought it was going to be this destination, mm-hmm. like this mountaintop. Like, like, you're a different person on the other side of it. Like, like, like when you get married, like, yeah. you put the ring on, but it feels the same as when you were engaged. Yeah. I fought and I felt like the same person when I was done fighting. And I just realized, like, it didn't make me who I want. It didn't do anything to me on the inside. Yeah. I'm glad that I kept doing it because um, my fights got better and I'm proud of, of that. But, man, the best thing I got out of fighting was was the training with the guys, the the room. The peer group. Man, I was going to bring that up. Yeah, because... dude, like, it, you know, being close with my instructor and, like, that's the language we could speak. Yeah. Like, we never really spoke the jiu-jitsu language as much. You know, because when I first came around Ricardo, they just brought him back to the UFC. Yeah. You know, he, they primed him to fight Anderson Silva. Yeah. Like, he was the guy that was going to do it. And 
you know, that that's that's always been his identity because that's Henzo's identity. Yeah. So that was the language I spoke with my instructor. Like fighting was important in that aspect. It brought me so close with like my peer group, like Matakis, yeah, like Max, um, and the people who would come into that room. They wouldn't come into like the black belt class for jujitsu. Like Braulio wouldn't come to that. Yeah, Hodger wouldn't come to that. Henzo wouldn't come to that. Yeah, but they'd come in and, and train MMA. Yeah, and then we would share stories and share techniques. That was like invaluable. I wouldn't trade that for the world. I see pictures. Uh, I know Professor Matakis has posted a couple over the past couple weeks, and you look and you see, you just look at the room, and it's not the guy standing; it's the guys kneeling down, yeah. sitting in front next to the yeah, car. Yeah, yeah. I don't look at the guys. I'm like, oh, okay, it's good to see you guys back there, but I'm like, look at the guys that are down there. Yeah, that's that's when you start to you start to see the people around you. Dude, you know, the who's by who. extension. Yeah, become a part of you. There is a there is a good chunk of time there where. Ricardo's was the place for MMA in the Northeast. Like, Ricardo was always still flying under the radar. One of the greatest minds in MMA coaching. Greatest minds. Um, he's the one that, like, he did most of the coaching for that IFL Pitbull team, you know? Yeah. Like, dude, Henzo's a busy guy. Yeah. Henzo's, like, he's, everywhere. he's going to Abu Dhabi yeah. and, like, doing, like, like hooking the, the sheik up with, like, a horse trader in Brazil. Yeah. Like, he's always doing crazy <laughs> stuff, but Ricardo's not that guy. Yeah. Ricardo's like, I want to stay home. I want to, like, I want to learn stuff. I want to train. I want to I coach. He's a, a brilliant mind. So your peer group, you brought them up. Um, I have to bring up the... The name. The Purple Circle. The Purple Circle. <laughs> Got to give them some time. Because Dude, that, I know they're, um, I have a lot of respect for, for all of them. They're yeah. all, um, because I am, you know, you're my instructor. It's that whole, There's they appreciate me for who I am and being under you and the, the yeah. support that we give to you guys, which is pretty awesome. But in their own right, they're all outstanding martial arts. And I, like I, there was a video of Max yesterday from... Uh, I'm not even sure which event it was, but uh, guys, if you don't know who Max Bohannon is, he <laughs> he is simply just amazing. He's really, really so good. Max is one of the most talented people I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. He was the guy that the one guy because we always talk about nobody comes in and could do this. The guy Max was the guy. He that had could. the aura. He yeah. like we'd have world champions come in and Max would just toy with them. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously. He's had his own personal, you know, issues, and, mm. and I don't know if that's related. Like, maybe his, like, ability to think outside the box and, and all that stuff, you know, was kind of tied in with, like, the issues that, that he has. But Max was the man, special guy. And we all, you know, we, it's funny, the Purple Circle. So that name sounds so stupid and so ridiculous. Coach uh, Coach brought that up. The one thing is the what? Yeah, Purple Circle. So it's me, Max, Rob Cook, Chris Matakis. And we're driving down. Rob's driving us down to Atlantic City for one of the fights. We're all fighting that night. And, you know, it's no secret. That was our peer group. We did that. We trained together, everything. And uh, it's got to be Max. I, I'm going to say it was probably Max who came up with the stupid name Purple <laughs> Circle. Because, you know, we were all purple belts at the time. And, like, we were, you know, we're just buddies. But you need people like that, man. It's, it's people like that that get you through. Not only, like, dude, you could get through to Black Belt on your own. Yeah. But it's better. you're missing out on so much. Like, like a, forget, like, the the support and the camaraderie and the friendship. But, like, on the mat, like, these people you trust with your with your life. I trust these guys with, with my your life. life. 
you can only imagine how hard we trained with each other. I can imagine. Murder, death, kill. It's and we thing. loved it. That's the, that's the most valuable part of having that peer group that you're so tight with. That's awesome. That is Dude, awesome. Matakis is the godfather of my daughter. Yeah. You know? it's The roots you build from being on the mat together, killing each other, the trust. Yeah. You know you could trust Every one of those guys. And they hold you accountable. Exactly. You know, like, haven't seen, like, get, make sure Where have you been? Train. Yeah. Where have you been? Why haven't you been Busting balls. You need that. That's, that's, that's very key. So I want to go back to your injury now. Yeah. Uh, so you, you hurt your shoulder really bad. Um, it's a kind of an understatement to say it that way. But it forces you to kind of reevaluate, re-evaluate things. Yeah. yeah. So how did that go and how to take off? And, and, and it obviously steamrolled into – as with this. this yeah look I always knew what I wanted um, so I, look I'm a transparent guy I don't really have secrets so there was a like a pretty big period of time in there where I like I was estranged from my uncle we weren't yeah. speaking and he would say it's for one reason I would say it's for another and again <laughs> and the truth is probably somewhere in the, in middle. the middle but what happened was um, you know, he did all the—he did so many amazing things for me. Like went out of his way to to boost me up and put me in the right rooms with the right people and filling my gas tank, just little things like that. Very fatherly. Um, introduced me to Ricardo. I remember, I I think he was probably priming me to take over his martial arts kingdom. Yeah. And then um, he put me in at Satori, and I'm I'm teaching. And I think what he probably saw me doing was learning how to teach. Still with the hopes that I would come, like, be a part of his kingdom. What maybe he didn't know was, like, I needed to do bigger things. And I needed to get away from my hometown. And, That's and a big I thing. I needed the adventure. I needed the hero's journey. Um, he'd probably say that that's not what happened. And, and you know, I, I'll gladly have him on. I'm sure he would gladly talk about it. But uh, I remember a pivotal moment. I was, I was on Route 18 looking for somewhere to eat lunch before I teach classes at East Brunswick. And I was on the phone with him, as I always am. I still am to this day. And, you know, he's walking me through a lot of things. He's an amazing mentor. And he, I think he's feeling me out in that respect. Like, what's the future going to look like? Yeah. What are we going to do here? And he's like, and I was just kind of mapping out. And it just he could see I was leaning. I was talking more jujitsu. Yeah. I even had a little Brazilian accent. <laughs> I was like, man, like, I don't know. Like, I think I, you know. <laughs> And, uh, and he asked me point blank. He's like, what do you want to do? In five years, what do you want to do? What's your dream? And I was like, I want to have, and I said exactly these words, I want to own a Ricardo Almeida Jiu-Jitsu Academy on the beach. Hmm. That was my dream. And well, Medford Beach isn't that far from here. Nah, so. Yeah, I could be there pretty soon. It, uh, you know, that was, that was like, a, like a changing point. So I always knew what I wanted. Yeah. And especially as a guy who taught a whole lot of karate classes, I knew I was not going to teach karate. Yeah. Like, it's it, it's just too much. Was it a burnout, you think, from it? Dude, it's, it burns you out. Yeah. It's like the class is all based off of your own, like, charisma and energy. And, yeah. and I'm not that excited about it. Like, it didn't make, it didn't set my soul on fire. Like, yeah. jiu-jitsu, like, I'm so friggin' excited about it. Like, a child. To this day? To this day, man. I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted a school. And, um... I had that in mind, and even when I was fighting, part of it was so, and this is probably foolhardy, that I wanted to have some accomplishments and some, like, name and some legacy, some, le- like, so more legitimate when yeah. I open up a school, when I put my name on it. I knew what I wanted, and when I got hurt, it was just, it wasn't a matter of, like, all right, 
you got hurt, so maybe you should think about not doing MMA because, like, you want to have a school. It was like, all right, focus on the school. Yeah. You know, it's like, all right, enough. You, let's that go. was the fork in the road, so to speak. It was just like, yeah. it's time. Like, it's what are time. you doing? That's pretty that, – that's that's important. And uh, getting back to the injury, just because, you know, it, personally, uh, when I uh, – I got a little boo-boo in my left arm, and uh, I think it was June 13th at, oh, at about it? 11 o'clock, maybe. You had it coming. So, you know, uh, the arm drag to the trip works pretty effectively it does. against old gentlemen that are like chairs. Anyways, the and I think this is really important because you're going to have bumps and bruises along the road. And I know you had to do what I did, strap it up, find a way to continue to progress yeah. instead of just sitting on the bench watching. You know, I got better hurt. I, got I, better. I feel the same way. So I have, look, I'm, I'm very modest and I deflect a lot. I've got a good Del Hiva guard. You know, like any of my, my like peers, they'll tell you, like, what's P good at? I have a good Del Hiva guard. And the only reason I have a good, before I got hurt, it was all like half guard, you know, maybe a little bit of butterfly, yeah. get on top and smash. Yeah. You know, we we're all fighters. I got hurt and I had to find a way to train with fighters and protect my shoulder. And that's where the Del Hiva guard came yeah. from. And, and it, it was uh, duly noted that on uh, the fight to win where Jay brought up your uh, daily, being a very good Daily Hiva guy. Daily? Yeah, when I was on uh, my last, uh, the last fight to win. So, yeah. Were you, did you, were you playing Daily Hiva? No, he was, the guy was playing, he's saying, oh, I yeah. know how to defend yeah, it because I'm yeah. getting Daily Hiva yeah, by we, you in battle we, all the time. We worked for like three months on how to smash <laughs> how the Daily smash the Daily Hiva. All right, so we're getting to the point now. So, and I know this a little bit, but just for everybody else to bring it up. So you get your black belt, which is obviously the, it's, I don't want to say it's the pinnacle. It's actually the, I believe it's the start of things. The minimum goal of martial arts. Exactly. As my uncle always says. The minimum goal. It's where now it gets real. Now you're really, now you're able to train jujitsu. You're able to do it for real, I guess. Yeah. From the time you get your black belt till you open the school. Yep. How was that? Oh, man. And what 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 was the deciding factor? Say it's time yeah. now. All right. I wish I had a better story, like a more <laughs> feel good story. Yeah. It was it wasn't that good. It was like I always knew Ricardo's um, model, so to speak, is like how to develop staff and instructors. Like his goal is take you from blue belt to black belt and kick you out. Yeah. Which is in your it's for you. Like go like you're out of the nest. Like go do your thing. Um, my exit was a little less graceful. Like you ever see in, on like Discovery Channel when one bird gets kicked out of the nest and hits <laughs> yes. every branch on the way down. Yeah. It was Tweety, I believe, got yeah. kicked out, right? It, mine was kind of like that. So, you know, the unfortunate truth is by the time I was like off for black belt, I didn't like, I don't know, overstay my welcome. It's just I had really, really outgrown the position. Yeah. You know, like like Ricardo's model is like – once you're ready, you got to go. It's just the problem with me was with my mentors and, and my experience, I was ready to go like yeah. really early on. And there was like a lot of like things at play. Um, so by the time it was time for me to go, it was literally like, time look, and I, 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 to Ricardo's credit, like he, I'm glad that he did the tough love. I like he, everything he did in hindsight 
was perfect. He probably saw it and said, yeah, it's he knows time. I was being you, a coward. Yeah, and like, you know, not so much a coward, but you were maybe second guessing yourself right, at the but, time. Yeah. But here's the truth, man. Like, I, I stopped working, quote unquote, officially for Ricardo, like February of 2014. But. I mean, in a lot of ways, I stopped in like the end of 2013. Like I, my he knew my mind was already, like I was already like working on my business cards. And yeah. Like he knew, man. Like that wasn't fair to him. And I, to his credit, like he had a tough conversation with me. He said, "Cause I was, he was like, what are you gonna do?" And I was like, "Well, I was thinking I could teach a few nights at my place and teach because <laughs> I was scared, yeah. I was terrified." And he was like, he looked me right in the face and he was like, "Man, I don't." think i should have to like foot the bill for your like your venture yeah and i was like that makes a lot of sense yeah. and you know and he gave me the boot and that was the best thing because two weeks later i'm teaching full-time yeah and that was the only way to do it um so that was my my exit it wasn't very great there was no like going away party it was literally like the there last, was no cake with a good luck now the last kids class i taught i just i bow them out i'm like guys by the way you know, yeah. adios. There's tears. Yeah. Like, but, man, Band-Aid. Whoosh, rip the Band-Aid off. There's something to say about that, though. I, I, I think there is. It's the best way it could happen. I think, yeah, for you, I think it absolutely was. Because we just discussed it over the last 30 minutes or so. Your whole life has been, even if you weren't, you said, I'm going to have my own school. Yeah. But everything that fell into line, you know, like your brick by brick. You're building a Lego house. Right. Every brick was laid with the intention of being where you are now. Yes. So you opened a school. Uh, I know I was there the first week. And uh, I remember, and we're, this goes back to lineage, was it was, oh, this is Ricardo Almeida's school. Yeah. You know, and I know Kelowna had reached out and Professor Almeida said, one of my guys is opening a school down there in April. Yeah. So the school opens up. Obviously, there wasn't a mat on the back wall. I apologize still six yeah, years later. <laughs> but the first the first week of classes, and I know it took a lot. I mean, we're not even going to get into building and laying down the mats and all that stuff because that could be a whole other story into itself because yeah. your peer group helped out with all that too, yes. which is goes back to building that foundation with your friends. Right. So you're getting ready to open. You get that first. I think it was Monday was the first demo classes. Mm-hmm. What was, was like, that? It was like Tuesday and Thursday. Yeah, Tuesday and Thursday. Was it Tuesday and Thursday? I, I know so. there was like two or three days, I, I thought. I think I think so. Um, dude, it was terrifying. You know, it wasn't. I can't even say it was terrifying. Let me be honest with you. Like, I, when I was like hesitant to leave Ricardo's, that was like the weakest part to me. But there was never any like doubt that I would have a successful school. Like my whole thing for years and years on end with with Matakis, like I'd be I'd be uh, mopping the mat afternoon class and he'd be helping me, and I would be like, dude, all I need is my corner of the world. That was my my phrase. Yeah. My corner of the world. As long as I have, I can have a little shithole. I can have a hundred square feet of mat, and I'm gonna be good. Mm-hmm. You know, because this is, I'm so good at this, yeah. and this is what I I'm, I love this. I was built for this. I was never really nervous. Like signing the lease. Like people ask, like, were you nervous? Like, was that like a pivotal? No, probably I just, excited. I was now. I was like, time, can I put yeah. my name on this paper yet, or what? <clears throat> yeah, like, give yeah. me the key, dude. Yeah. I wanted to start teaching classes. <laughs> I was never worried. It was just a matter of when. I was, yeah. I mean, I didn't know anybody down here. I didn't start with like you know ten people in the can. Yeah. I just knew if I opened the doors, it would it would happen. It did. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. Like our first month, we got like thirty five students and. Yeah. 
And half of that was Dickinson's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's been on the op ever since. Man. Yeah. I was never really scared. Yeah. I, I know um, the first, when I took the class here, uh, I came in, aside from wearing a black gi, unknowingly, yeah. that it was an instructor gi. But I, I, I know I came in, I was a three-stripe blue belt, two-stripe blue belt at the time. I came in. And uh, I took the class, and I was like, I, I told you five minutes in, I was like, oh, I got to be here. Yeah. This is just, just going through the warm-up, I was like, this is just structure, awesome. Structure, man. Structure. And I'm a firm believer in structure and the way you do things. And even before knowing how it was, I was, I was like, this is the way I like it. Yeah. So it just fit me. So we go, let's say, I, I guess that the idea is from here, it's like where we were seven years ago. Coming up on eight years. Think about that. Eight years. Now we're coming up on seven. Is it seven? Yeah. 2014. Yeah. 2014. Seven years. I'm old. I can't count. No. So I've ADD. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Private joke there. So we're coming up on seven years here. And the growth of the academy from, and I, you know, your first coach, Coach Tony. Yeah. And I was there for that, you know, to Matt, too. That yeah. was a huge step. Yeah, it was big. That was a huge step to, you know, Matt three to where we are. I mean, we've come very far, and so you've come up. It's your it's your house. We've come very far in seven years. And the one thing that I know, and this will kind of refer go back to your time at Ricardo's, is we always say it, the kids program. Yeah, it's yep, it's awesome. It's it's, it's awesome. probably the best in the world. And we have people from other schools to bring their kids here. Yeah. And that yeah, speaks no, value. I've had owners of other schools send kids to me. Yeah. Look, that's one thing that we're very like upfront about. Yeah. We have the best kids program, best kids jujitsu program, I think, in the entire world. Yeah. Now, like, you know, are there people with better, like, uh, kids competition teams? Of course. Are, yeah. there, are there people with bigger kids, like, larger kids programs? Yeah. Quality. But quality, no, I don't think anybody could touch us. Right. Look, and it, a lot goes into that. So you hear me say all the time, Tony is the best kids instructor I've ever seen. He's awesome. He's incredible. Keep in mind, like, up until a few years ago, I was that guy. <laughs> so I remember Ricardo would have me and, like, introduce me. This is the best kids instructor in the <laughs> entire world. And here is the truth. In 2007, I started the kids program at Ricardo's. I grew it to probably at that time the biggest kids program I think in the country, maybe even the world. You know, we had like a, you know a couple hundred kids at one point yeah. um, in Trenton. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Like like we were doing really well, and I attribute that to a few things. I think I'm well suited for it, but you know I've got like certain attributes and qualities that that lend well to teaching kids. But man. That goes back to my time teaching karate, the structure from karate, like the same energy from karate, yeah. um, like understanding how to like, you know, position, like, you know, promotions, like you get that from karate. Man. Yeah. And then, you know, I learned a lot from my uncle, but you know, you got to tip your cap to, to Ricardo for just being like, hey man, here's a program. What can you like, go ahead. Dude, he didn't even poke his head in for like eight months. Just take it and run. Yeah, and even then, like when it was booming, he would come in and like say hi to the kids, but he never thought like to take it from me or like take credit for it. So that was like our that was my bread and butter. I was the kids instructor in jujitsu, yeah. and then I come here, same thing, blows up. 
And then Tony comes along and, like, he has all the qualities and then some. Like, he has all the same abilities that I have, like, to work with a kid. And on top of that, he's more loving. He's yeah. more caring. <laughs> he's, he's more empathetic. He's a yeah. freaking kid. He you know, he's, a, he's like a big-hearted kid. Whereas, like, I take kind of, like, that hard line. The kids, like, I think are a little more eager to um, make me proud of them. Yeah. You know, and I think the kids are just, they're in love with Tony. Yeah. You know what I mean? But he's he's freaking incredible. He's, we, we just have a great team. I cannot give Tony enough credit uh, for how he handled I mean, like, we talked about the tiny sharks before. Uh, the other day we were talking about it. I mean, it's it, not. It's, it's unbelievable that that you get three to five-year-old kids. Yeah, yes, they had 20 Dude, kids in here. It, it was huge. It looked like one of the adult classes, the way yeah. the, the kids were trained. Standing on, like, like statues. It's, Keep it's in awesome. mind, he stole all my catchphrases. <laughs> I did what I was going to get All to my that. mannerisms. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he just added, like, a little Irie kind yeah, of feel to it. He's him. got a little uh, reggae in the background. You know, but look, I, I stole a bunch of stuff from my uncle, a bunch of stuff from, from uh, Ricardo. That's how it goes. You have to. You, you borrow. You take what... You take what fit you yeah. and and we've joked about it before i know when i first started trying to teach i try to be professor pete be coach tony don't i can't i can't and i found out very early on that i have to be me which is uh unfortunate more unfortunate for everybody <laughs> i apologize to everybody listening to this that takes my class let me point something out though like don't like you're saying man matt one matt two matt three and the school's explosive growth I am still not um, content. Like, this is not... I was going to get to that. Look, I'm kind of yeah. happy. Don't get me wrong. Like, yeah, that's great. Like, we have a bunch of students and, like, the school's big. Yeah. I'm more impressed with, like, how our classes are run. Like, yeah. that I take more pride in. But given my mentors, hmm. given my experience, given all the dumb luck I've had with the people I've encountered on this journey, Dave Kovar, yeah. Thomas Clifford... Uh, like the Gene Duns, the Ricardo Almeidas, of course. <laughs> there, if I failed, like it's just impossible. Yeah. Like I, the truth is, I think I'm an underachiever. You know what I mean? Like, there's no reason that we can't have now, you're, a thousand. I'm going to let you be hard on yourself. But you there are reasons why you can't have a thousand. It's like it's like if we if we go and I was going to get to and and I'll combine this into one. So we had, I don't know if anybody knows, we had a slight bump in the road over the last year. I would oh, say ha- the What happened last year? I don't know, something about the sniffles or something, some oh. coughing thing. I don't know. Zombie flu. Oh, I didn't hear. Yeah, yeah. It's Bud Light virus or something <laughs> like that. So we had, I think, before uh, the corona, the corona hit us. Man, we were, to borrow one of your terms, man, we were, yeah. we were really looking, I mean, and looking to use our stock market reference, we were man, we were climbing. We're climbing. We were climbing. We're taking high. over the world. We were. We were. We absolutely were. And we have that little uh, was it March twelfth, coming up on the one year anniversary, and we had a setback again. Like borrow that stock market reference. We have a drop. We have a dip. Oh yeah. We have a dip in the trend. Crash. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it was a crash. It was a... Uh, I'm glad it happened. We had, it, I think there's a lot... We grew from it. We grew from it and, look, in many do, ways. Not, look, COVID hit, and most of, a lot of schools didn't make it through. Yeah. And the schools that did, they did it with a limp and like like puppy dog eyes, like, please stick with us. Yeah. We refused to do that. We hit the ground running right away. Two days later, resume class. Man, we did everything we, we could. Um, 
Yeah, and look, we're back, man. Yeah. We're back. The school's doing incredibly well. Yeah. And so basically what I was going to get to is, and I know you're not content. I know you very well. And I know you're not. And I wouldn't want you to be content, to be honest with you. I wouldn't want you to say, you know what? I think we're uh, pretty okay. Yeah, let's coast. Let's look at, uh, we'll round up. So with seven years coming up, 10 year, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Where? What do you foresee with the academy? Um... That's a good question. So we're going to have a dozen black belts. it's huge. Yeah, we'll have a dozen black belts. We'll have a headquarters that's like 5,000 square feet and 500 students. And we'll have at least two satellite schools that are like 1,600 square feet with a black belt in there. And they have 150 students each. That's awesome. That's That's exactly what's going to happen. Yeah. And I I don't see why it wouldn't. I don't see why it wouldn't. But, man, I want you to keep in mind, like, we we have certain goals, but – they're always uh, the result of the fact that all we think about is making classes better. All we think about is making jujitsu more accessible. All we think yeah. about is training hard and getting better. Getting better. There and there, and I. The I, rest of it. Look, I'm not a salesman, dude. No. The rest of it comes just, from all that work. Exactly. I'm a 100 percent believer in that, and I don't think there's any. I don't want to use the term scheming, but yeah. game planning. I think it's more. And I, and I'll say I'll say we us as a group, uh, you know, meaning the coaching staff and even the students, you know, we're all putting in the same. We're all like minded in the sense we're all looking to get better at jujitsu. Yeah, if you guys didn't love jujitsu, guess what? We wouldn't be here. I wouldn't. Ha- I wouldn't let you be here. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it's it's natural selection, dude. Like the reason you guys are here and the reason you guys are great coaches. Is because we're like-minded in the most important ways. Exactly, we're all different, but we're we all have the same. Yeah, it really we, is. We the love same. this, man. This is all I think about. This is all I think about. And I and I know, especially because we've, especially when we were hitting the uh, door, and I think this is where we actually created better thought processes and problem solving in the middle of the Rona. We would get to. We got to make this better. What yeah. can we add? What can we do? Yes. What can we do? So everybody listening, so you know. We were having Zoom calls all the time. Every day, man. What can we do? Can we do? How can we make can this we better? What can we add? What can and we offer? Dude, I think the, the most beneficial thing that we did was we looked at it like this. Let's let's just assume this is going to last a year. Yeah. Which it did. Guess what? Yeah. How can somebody actually progress and benefit from jujitsu training virtually over the course of a year? Yeah. I think the mistake a lot of people were making was like, hey, let's just you know do some stuff. Yeah. No, no, like how can we legitimately build out programs that somebody can genuinely benefit from? Yeah. And you know that's another thing. I, I say the word genuine all the time. Like GAS, that's our acronym, GAS, yeah. which is give a shit yeah. and genuine and sincere. Everything we do is genuine and sincere, and that's why good things happen. I, the genuine, I, everything... I, I want again. You nailed it right on the head there because I know we every we'll have discussions all the time, and it's like, man, this is, you know, just we care. Yeah. There's so much caring going on here. We're like the good hands. People. <laughs> yeah. we, it's funny, but we do. We care. Yeah. How do we make so? How could we help so and so get better at this? Dude, the, the thing is this: you know? like we say this all the time too. Like we get people at the best part of their day. So when somebody walks in here, this is the happiest. Most of them are yeah. going to be this hour and a half. And yeah. this is like the biggest deal for most of these people. Yeah. This is the most challenging and rewarding thing that they're going to do. So we can't squander that opportunity. Like we take it incredibly seriously. Yeah. It's it's important. Dude, I remember 
I remember my first MMA fight, and I fought for New Breed Fighters. Yeah. And we fought out of Resorts Hotel in AC, which I guess is like the oldest. That's market. the oldest one. But I got to tell you, man, for an amateur card, they put so much money into production, and they really take took great care of the fighters. So, you know, like you get ready. Like, hey, McHugh, you're on deck. And, like, I put on my gi and my belt, which I loved. I love that we walked out in our gi, dude. That's a throwback. Like, yeah. Ricardo, Henzo used to do that. And uh, you're, you're at the bottom of the stairs, and the, and the guy's at the top. He's, and, you know, and then it's like the whole theater. You walk through the whole crowd down to the cage, and the guy at the top, you know, shaved head, huge beard, tattoos. He's like, hey, man, you don't, you don't effing go until you effing want to. Yeah. I'm going to start your music, and you feel it, and whatever you want to go, you go. And I'm like, okay, dude. <laughs> and, you know, he, he starts Did you come out song. to the Allman Brothers? Or? I came out, I was going <laughs> to, I came out to Whiskey in a Jar, Metallica. There you go. So, you know, I'm letting the song play, and Ricardo smacks me on the back of the neck like five times. Bop, bop, bop. And he goes, this is why you left New York. Remember, this is why you left New York. And I was like, oh, shit. There's and a lot then, of, dude, there's a lot of all, weight in it that. It all kind of came together like, like, I am no coward. You know, like, if I want something, I'm, I will uproot my life. I will put myself in a room I don't belong in. Yeah. I will put my name on paper. I will do anything I have to to accomplish these things. And it just filled me with, like, a lot of confidence. You know, and I went out and fought. But then, and then, like, I, I dwell on that a lot. That hit me hard. Another one Frankie said hit me hard. We could get to that. But Ricardo was like, this is why you left New York. And for the fight, it, it was. That was the culmination of, like, a lot of the reasons I left New York. But the second I got done with that fight, that was no longer why I left New York. Yeah. This is why I left New York. Yeah. Is the truth. I left New York to, to study under the master. I left New York to to grow and, like, you know, just yeah. give myself new challenges and opportunities. That's why I left New York, man. That's why we're here right now. Yeah. And I, I know not to – it's just the – I know that growth thing. I felt trapped when you I got, was young. Sometimes you got to go. That's why I went to the military. Yeah, dude. You Take got, me you away. Gotta go. Take me away. You got to prove to yourself that like, – It was cheaper to let the Navy pay for me to go to California <laughs> yeah. to serve than to do it on my own. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there's. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much to that. Yeah, you, you have to, and embracing that on a daily basis, and look, look where you're at. Dude, the other thing is this, and I'll, I'll tell you what Frankie told me. This was like my second fight, I think. Talk about a corner, right? Ricardo, Dante, Frankie, Tom heavy. Blass. It's yeah. a heavyweight. So my second fight, I'm, I'm about to go down, and I got Ricardo behind me on one shoulder. Frankie's on the other one. Frankie smacks me and goes, "You got a lot of fight in you." You got a lot of fight in you. Not a lot of people can say that. You got a lot of fight in you. And I was like, oh, shit, I got a lot of fight. Like, yeah, I didn't even think. You didn't even think about it. You know, and like, you know, that the importance of that is surrounding yourself with people you respect, people who have done more, bigger, like harder things than yeah. you. So you have somewhere to aim so you can aim up. And yeah. not only that, so they can pull you up. Yeah. Dude, you have Frankie Edgar right before you go in a cage tell you that you have a lot of fight in you. You, There's you, a, you a got a lot of fight in you, yeah. Even if you didn't, even if you don't. <laughs> you would. Now you do. Now you do. You know, yeah. and then my other, and then I walked to the top of those stairs I was telling you about. I'm already feeling good. Oh, no, this was my third fight, which. Is this uh, the one where the fight broke out afterwards? Yeah, yeah which yeah, yeah. apparently I, I wasn't supposed to win this fight. They were supposed, they were trying to prime this guy for the title fight. Yeah. Didn't work out well no. for him. Turns out he doesn't like being strangled. <laughs> but I remember walking to the top of the stairs. I was nervous, man. You know, guys like talking trash before the fight. And I was just trying to stay focused. That's how I fought. I wouldn't get riled up. 
I go to the top of the stairs. My my best friend in the world is at the top of the, my buddy Melville. And he's like, look at this guy. Look at this guy. Like, talking to me. Look at this animal. Look at him. Just look. He's an animal. Yeah. I was like, oh, shit, yeah. Yeah. I was like, because he was there when I was an animal. Like, he's seen me, like, in bar fights. Yeah. And, you know, and I became, like, more tame over the years when you're trying to become, like, a more skilled fighter. Yeah. But sometimes, like, the people in your life that you trust, that, like, that just know you and, and like, have that deep connection with you, they say the right thing, it changes everything. Yeah. You know, and that kind of comes back around to, like, our students here. Like, they put so much trust in us because they're so, they're so like, malleable when they're on the mat because they're vulnerable yeah. and they're changing more than they've ever changed in their whole lives. So a, a, a well-placed, like, compliment or a well-placed, like, advice at the right time yeah. – from somebody they respect can change their entire life. Yeah, I and I'll, I'll say this. I know somebody, uh, I think three times, called you and said, hey, this guy reached out about doing this this fight, fight to win. What do you think? You think I could do it? And you, you said to me, when I don't believe in my, you know, I'm like, not that I don't believe in myself, but it's more, am I bullshitting myself? No, dude. Am I, but the point is, is, you were my Frankie. You were my Ricardo. You were that. Where you said I'd put you against anybody, and I'm I was like, just gonna say I'd put you in there with anybody. Yeah, and it was there. The weight that goes into that because you have fight in you. Yeah, that's all I got. I don't have any brains in need. me. That's all that's I need. All you need. Yeah. There's a lot of weight to that, and 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 I'll reference this back to like we're talking about giving helping people along. Rondo. Oh, Guys man. like Rondo. The Dude, fight. Last I train, night, I rolled with him last night, too. I yeah, trained yeah. him last night. It's like time. a cat in water. You got yeah. It's really, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, dude, he's getting technical. Yes, there very is, technical. There is no quitting in him. Yeah. And you know what he needs? I, I don't really know what he needs. Like, yeah. I don't know too much about his personal life. But I know he's a young guy. Yeah. And I know he's got aspirations. And yeah. I know he's a little unrefined in terms of jujitsu. Yeah. He needs people like us. Yeah. To let him know that we believe in him. Yeah. That we see a lot of potential in him. And that we're going to do whatever it takes to make sure he, he succeeds. And I think we do because I know I've pointed out to him, you know, and, and there's others too. I mean, we go go down the line of people where say, dude, you you got this. Yeah. You got this. And it's not I'm blowing smoke up their butt. It's you could see it. You could see, When he's you see got, something. He's got the spark. Oh, yeah. He's got it. But let, let's point this out, man. Like we're, we're talking in terms of jujitsu. Yeah. We do the same thing with people like you got this like. You're gonna get that job. Yeah. Like you should apply for that yeah. job. Like absolutely. If you like, I write a recommendation every week, yeah. and I believe it, and yeah. I like because I know these people. Yeah. I know more about people just from training. I don't even know what kind of clothes they wear. Yeah. Aside from a gi and rash guard, <laughs> but I don't need to because yeah. I know enough about you watching you train. I know if you if you're the real you. if you're gonna quit on yourself. Yeah. I know if you believe in yourself. Yeah. I know if you have compassion. Yeah. I know if you're honest. You know, I know if like you're you're willing to help people yeah. just by watching you train. That's immense. And and I I've had a conversation with I forget who it was. It was a little, it was a while ago. Had a conversation with somebody and they were like, "Man, I got this job interview." And I said, I said, "Let's take a look at this for. Let's take a look. What are you nervous about?" He was, "Well, I go, is anybody going to drop you on your head and <laughs> proceed to choke you out?" He goes, "No." I go, "What are you afraid piece of? of cake. It's a piece yeah, of cake." Yeah. It's a piece of cake. And came back and he goes, man, I think I nailed it. I go, what do you think it was? He goes, I didn't look at them anymore as I have this to speak like up to them. Yes. Is- 
I'm not speaking up to him. I'm looking at him like, I could choke you. (laughs) When it comes down to it, I would drop you on your head. This this is done. I don't know. People never believe me. I'm shy, man. I am shy. I have social anxiety. I have performance anxiety. I get nervous if I have to like speak. You wouldn't believe it because I'll have a hundred people on the mat during belt promotions and I'll belt out some speech. Um, it's because I, you know, I this is my element. Yeah. But uh, it's it's done amazing things for me. Like you would never know. Like I'll I will go to like the EFC summit and speak, and yeah. no one there will know that I was nervous. Yeah. No one will know that like you know I was sweating and like shitting my pants a little bit <laughs> because this has taught me like a couple things that I can fake it and fake it till you make it. Fake it till I make it. And it's taught me that. I'm gonna do it either way. Yeah. It's not like I will never back down because I'm scared. Yeah. Like this has told me that I'm gonna encounter whatever I need face to face your fears and do it. You gotta face your fears. Yeah. So we've been doing this for a while now. What do you got to close out this close this out? Oh uh, man, that was, I just wanted to point out a couple things about who I am, where I come from. You know, I, I owe so much to Thomas Clifford and Ricardo Almeida, and I just wanted the students to know that I've been living that I'm not full of it. Like, I've been living the martial arts lifestyle since I was like seven years old. And I've been doing it honestly and wholeheartedly. And I still do. I live like a pretty pristine lifestyle, like monastic lifestyle. And I do it because I'm sincere about jujitsu lifestyle. I know what it could do for people. And um, I've been lucky, man. I want people to know, like, like I've been pretty lucky. You appreciate it. But I want, I do appreciate it. I I want the lesson to be this. It's not just blind luck. Like, I didn't just find a, a winning lottery ticket. I went and cashed in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like I met Ricardo Almeida, but but I, I I don't like to boost myself up. But I think most people in that situation would be like, oh, man, you met Ricardo. That's cool. Did you get yeah. an autograph? And then you drive back to New York and you just live your life in New York. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to put 50,000 miles on my car and I'm going <laughs> to drive and, and, and be under his wing. Like, yeah. You know, I seized some opportunities. I was lucky to, to get them, and I seized them. And because of that, you know, we're here. And, you know, I love you guys, and I'm looking forward to this podcast moving forward. This is awesome. This was great. This was cool. Yeah, so that was the first one. I think we knocked it out pretty good. A little yeah. technical difficulties early on. Piece of cake, we did, we did. We adapted. We improvised. We overcame. We overcame. Heartbreak ridged it. All right, guys. I'll see you in the next one. We'll Take see care. you guys. Thanks.